Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 36 of Big League Flicks, a sports movie podcast. I'm Jamie McKinvin, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Christian Webster and Jordan Reed. How are we doing tonight, boys? Hey, boys. How are we doing? Glad to be back. A couple weeks, they'll like a, a vacay. They'll uh, recharge the batteries, as uh, JR likes to say. Get the old COVID vaccine. Well done. Feeling good. Feeling great. Uh, happy to be here. Yeah, uh, great to be back, guys. It feels two weeks feels like a lifetime. I don't know why it just did on this one. Uh, stuck in Doug Ford's lockdown Ontario right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're doing our best. I uh, golfed in my basement this morning. I shot a 107. All is well here. <laughs> great to be here, guys. Can't putt, eh? Still can't putt. Can't. Can't, can't drive. Undulating, can't. undulating greens in your basement. <laughs> yeah, you name. It. I got to punch out the uh, carpet here in the basement and make it a little bit better. That's all. That's all that's going on. <laughs> great to be here yeah so with baseball season in full swing and uh we're no we're not quite into the hockey playoffs yet we're gonna actually jump into another baseball movie jump back to the diamond and we're gonna go into the classics into the 80s this week uh this week we're going with one of the all-time baseball classics with field of dreams i have just created something totally illogical That's what I like about If you build it, he will come. If you build it, he will come. If you build what, who will come? Didn't say. I hate it when that happens. Me too. Who's your invoices? Ray is. <laughs> I think I know what if you build it, he will come means. Ooh, why do I not think this is such a good thing? Daddy, there's a man out there in your lawn. Are you a ghost? What do you think? You look real to me. Hi! You couldn't see it. This is really interesting. You believed in the magic. It happened. Isn't that enough? Annie, it's more than that. I feel it as strongly as I've ever felt anything in my life. There's a reason. Go the distance. Did you hear the voice, too? Did you hear it? Go the distance. Yes. Our grave is dead. He died in 1972. Are you Moonlight Graham? No one's called me Moonlight Graham in 50 years. Unbelievable. It's more than that. It's perfect. You build a baseball field in the middle of nowhere, and you sit here and you stare at nothing. This field, this game, it's a part of our past, Ray. It reminds us of all that once was good. Hey, is this heaven? No, it's Iowa. Kevin Costner, Amy Madigan, James Earl Jones, Ray Liotta, Burt Lancaster. Sometimes, when you believe the impossible, the incredible comes true. Field of Dreams. Well, you know the drill. Every week before we jump into the movie review, we're going to jump into our brew review. What are we drinking this week, Webb? 
Well, boys, in honor of our movie, you don't get more off the grid than a farm out in the middle of buttfuck nowhere, Iowa. So this week, we decided to follow suit, join our friends up in Baysville, Ontario, at Lake of Bays Brewery, and enjoy a pint of their off-the-grid hazy pale ale. This hazy pale ale uses Sbarro hops to bring out a distinct tropical aroma of tangerine and a complex blend of mango and peach flavors. Off the Grid is an unfiltered brew with a bold, fruity taste that accompanies any new adventure. At 4.7%, it's the perfect beer to enjoy on one of those lazy summer days while watching the boys this summer. No signal? No problem. Go ahead and enjoy being Off the Grid. For more information on this and many of their other fantastic beers, products, and services, be sure to check them out at lakeabaysbrewing.ca or give them a follow on all your favorite social media platforms. As always, Big League Flukes reminds you to please enjoy responsibly and always ensure that you have a safe ride home. Cheers, boys. Cheers. Cheers, everybody. I'm going to take mine out of a glass tonight. A little upscale there. Ooh, Hope Couture over there. I had to go go glass as well. You have to, it's one of the first times I think I've had this one, so I had to go see, give it the whole uh, whole experience, see how it looks, pours, the whole works. You know what, guys? I'm going right out of a can. Get a nice little head on it like that. That looks good, Jamer, in a glass. I'm not going to lie. I'm going out of the can. Here's why. This would be one of those ones in the summertime I'd have out on the dock. So I think, you know, if I'm fishing, hanging out, doing whatever, I might have one of these on the dock. That's a tasty beer. Ooh, I like really this one. Good. We've yeah. been off the IPA. We haven't done an IPA in a while, if I recall. Or at least I haven't had one in a while anyway. And uh, this is nice. It's, it's got a nice flavor. It's not It's not too overpowering with, like, the citrus hops. It's got a nice mm. uh, balance and body to it. I'm enjoying this one, definitely. It's tasting really good out of the glass, too. This is definitely. Yeah. <clears throat> definitely one of those ones where you can taste the citrus but you can also taste taste like the mango and the peach that they were talking about as well that kind of balances it out this is yeah. a perfect summer beer i might have to have a few of these yeah, yeah. The day after you just cut the grass i could i could put yeah. one of these down pretty good yeah sure yeah i see me getting some of these and at the and having these at the dock this is a delicious this is refreshing actually and you know what? A nice hot, hot, hot day. Oh boy, you reach into the cooler, pull out an icy one of these. And the flavor in there is awesome. And you guys know I like them when they're a little, I like the 4.7. I don't like it too high up in the day. So I have one of these in the afternoons. You guys know what I'm talking about. I like this beer a lot. Very tasty. Uh, and I find it kind of refreshing in a way. So yeah, rip, rip a couple cigs. I <laughs> <laughs> can't get enough of those. <laughs> Well, and I was before, Very well done. I've yet to have one a beer from Lake of Bays that I didn't enjoy. So if you get a chance when, you know, the restrictions start to lift a little bit, go out and give them some support, give them some love. If you're up in Muskoka hanging out at the cottage as the weekend starts to get a little bit nicer, it's worth the trip. They do a fantastic tour up there as well. So get a chance, get up there and uh, give them some love. Yeah, right absolutely. On. So as we mentioned this week, We're doing Field of Dreams, which was directed by Phil Alden Robinson, distributed in 1989 by Universal Pictures, got a 7.5 rating on Internet Movie Database, 87% on Rotten Tomatoes, had a budget of $15 million and grossed a whopping $84.4 million at the box office. That's a pretty good haul for 1989. Mm -hmm. Uh, Music by the legendary James Horner, starring Kevin Costner. You ever heard of that guy? Uh, James Earl Jones, Amy Madigan. Mm -hmm. Ray Liotta, and Burt Lancaster. Quick movie synopsis. When Iowa farmer Ray hears a mysterious voice one night in his cornfield, he feels the need to act. Despite taunts of lunacy, Ray builds a baseball diamond on his land, supported by his wife Annie. Afterwards, the ghosts of great players start emerging from the crops to play baseball, led by legendary Shoeless Joe Jackson, 
But as Ray learns, the field represents a lot more. Let's jump into our character review and let's start out with Ray Kinsella, played by Kevin Costner. Uh, first of all, Kevin Costner. I feel like in this movie, well, every baseball movie with Kevin Costner, you just feel his respect for the game. And you can tell the history this guy knows of the game. And he really carries it in. Everything about it, when he's talking to his daughter, when he's talking about Shoeless Joe, he's talking about the stats and how he's trying to prove how, even though, you know, the World Series was thrown, well, how did he do it? He batted three, whatever, doing this. I... This guy is just a hopeless baseball romantic at this point when you see it. That's exactly what he is. He's that middle America. Maybe he got really into the hippie area with Cal Berkeley. He did all that. He, you know, he came became a farmer in Iowa. The story of him is amazing. And I love, obviously, Kevin Costner. He looks good. He's got a great car again, this time with the minibus. He never, he never lets us down in the rides. That's, that's for sure, boys. But he's just a hopeless baseball romantic. And there's something about him that you just latch on to, even though this lunatic is hearing things. He's, oh, he's kind of sewer his farm, you know, ta- insert town folks here or whatever. Uh, really liked him a lot. I thought it was kind of neat the way that I don't think Costner is doing a lot of acting when he's talking about the baseball history. I don't think he's acting. I think he's just being himself, boys. Honest to goodness. I don't think he's, I think he's just talking. I think he knows it. He's not posing whatsoever. He just loves the game of ball and that piece where, you know, the real reason why he builds the diamond, you know, that catch with his dad. If you don't, there's a few movies that I feel like you're allowed to cry in the end of field of dreams. The you're allowed to have a little bit of a tear in when he's having a catch with his dad, because that's something that just matters. A couple scenes, you know, when I think the idea of Costner, when Joe Jackson wants him to hit the fly ball and he whiffs on the first one, that's that's amazing. That's an amazing scene where you can see Kevin Costner's just love of it and the way he's handling the bat, the way he picks up the bat, the the gear he has, the way he handles the gear. You can tell this guy knows his ball, and I Cal love State it. Fullerton uh, alumni, absolutely, and you can tell he's he's legit. Webb, this guy's a hopeless baseball romantic, pretty much to a fault. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he, uh, I mean, we're talking about Kevin Costner, I think at this point in time, may be considered the goat of sports movies, like in terms of actors. He, oh, he's yeah. so many, right? Like, and yeah. he's so good in all those roles. I think the only disappointing piece about him in this one is the fact that he didn't rock the linen pants for more than what, one scene? These uh, <laughs> are often some serious blue jeans and no, no, uh, out of, uh, out of shape linen pants. So, did you, did you notice in that scene? And that was the scene when he was, First pulling into Boston. Uh, yeah. Did you notice the leather jacket he had on it? It was the same jacket from Bull Durham. Okay, so I was gonna, ah, that's a good point. He just done Bull Durham. Uh, and I know back in the day, a lot of those guys, like, they would, if they had something as part of their wardrobe that was, like, pretty sweet or, you know, something they wore in a lot of scenes, a lot of times they would either buy it from the set crew or whatever and, like, keep it. So I, I bet you he just loved that leather jacket. He's probably like, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna take this with me," and then coming into this movie, he's probably like, "I'm gonna rock this in in this scene or something." So oh, good, yeah. feels good, very good. Yep. Uh, yeah, he, I agree with everything you said, Jr. The the one thing that uh, you love about this character, and I think, I mean, any any guy to a certain extent can kind of relate to it. Like, not the idea of like necessarily rebelling against your father, but like trying to make your own way in the world and be your own man in the world. Right. Mm-hmm. And so 
there's that part of his character that I really loved. Um, and, and I think that's what makes part of the, part of what gives this movie longevity, right. Is, is his character, uh, in particular, right. Uh, because that storyline or that theme, if you will, is it, it can translate to any, any type of movie. And the fact that they do it with a, a movie that's as wholesome and pure as this baseball love of baseball is in this movie. Um, it just adds to it. So yeah, he, he does a fantastic job. I don't have a whole lot to add in that respect. Oh. I love I love the I love the scene you were mentioning Jr. where he's just rattling off Joe Jackson's uh, stats to his daughter when they're going into town picking stuff up. Like it yeah. just reminds me of Cleo and I. Like that's the stuff I say to Cleo because I'm a baseball nerd. So I'm always like, she she's interested in it too. She, not, not not that she like really is interested in baseball, but she just loves hearing me rant on about stupid shit that, that you know <laughs> that I get passionate about that doesn't mean anything. She humors me and lets me go on about it. So that scene where he's like rambling on to her about it, I'm like, yeah. Like that that kind of reminds me of Cleo and I, so it's pretty funny. All the time, awesome. yeah, yeah, it's awesome. I mean, uh, let's move on to Annie Kinsella, played by Amy Madigan. I thought Annie, first of all, is maybe one of the most patient partners you could possibly oh, ask for. Yeah. Um, holy cow, um, the things she's dealing with and putting up with and staying cool about it. I tip my hat to her. Um, she did a uh, Madigan did a really good job in this role. She's also fiery at the same time and just as rebellious in her own way, which is kind of awesome. You know, the scene with Terrence Mann, the burn the books. Um, I thought that was a pretty cool scene and it really helped to develop the fire that's inside of her and how she's smart. She's educated. She's aware. She's socially aware and she's active. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, you didn't see, so you always took Annie's role when she's talking to Ray on the phone. You, you knew how serious she was. And you could see the chemistry between her and Coster. It was really good. Yeah. They, they really like, you could, I, I, I like to think they really liked each other and got along well because the way they interacted, it just seemed like they were very, very believable as like a husband and wife and partners. Um, the way she deflects for him. The, she's an amazing wife. Let's be honest at this point, an amazing partner to him because she buys into this whole entire spiel despite her family not wanting anything, like completely disagreeing with it. So I thought she was pretty cool. I liked her spunk. I'm not going to lie. I thought she was pretty cool. She had so much intensity and very important character web. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that one scene about her and the, you know, standing up for the books because... If that scene wasn't included, I think most people, myself included, would have a hard time taking her serious as a character because there's no way in hell, you know, I, I'd like to think my wife is probably one of the most patient people on the planet when she has to put up with my bullshit all the time. Like, <laughs> like, like my, yeah, there's my bullshit. <laughs> I'm hearing voices in the field that there might be some kind of methane leak going on somewhere that's causing all these voices. Like, I'm just going to like take our major cash crop and just fucking flush it down the toilet so I can put a baseball field in. Like there needed to be something to kind of round her out and make her more realistic and more of her own person. And, and mm -hmm. then it just, then that to me, that scene helped solidify just how, uh, how supportive she was and made that actually believable, right. That she would, she would go all out for that because in that moment, he also kind of was at bat for her, for lack of a bad pun, but like supporting her in, in her crusade against, you know, trying to keep the books going. So uh, as as weird as he was, but yeah, I don't know. I, I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, she did a great job. Chemistry was good. Uh, it's funny. I, when I first saw her and I, and I 
went back into this. I said to Sarah, we were watching, I'm like, is that uh, Donna's mom from that 70s show, but like just way a long time ago? Because it looked kind of, they kind of had similar. Oh, yeah. So I had to like do some like Googling. It's not. Yeah. Uh, spoiler alert. It's not. But it looked, they looked like they could be sisters at some point. Yeah. Just it funny. It's like, Bob, Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great show. Oh, you guys nailed it. Let's move on to Shoeless Joe Jackson, played by Ray Liotta. Oh, man. Uh, Ray Liotta as a baseball player? Not sure. Yeah. But Ray Liotta, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I liked him a lot. I thought he was great. But did you not get some of the Ray Liotta Goodfellow mannerisms? In the 100%. They <laughs> called out the whole time through. And I'm like, this is Ray Liotta from your Henry Hill at this point. You're getting ready yeah. for it. I literally wonder, I'm like, do you know you have Henry Hill's role coming up soon? And I don't know. You just There's something about it where... It was one year later, it was one year later he played it. Was it was one year later. I made the connection, and I know it was Robert De Niro's character, but when he's telling uh, James Earl Jones to come on into the cornfield, I thought of... Uh, in the, yeah, up around the corner. The dresses, up around the corner. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness. No, um, she was, Joe was fine. He, the fact that they used Joe Jackson, I find kind of interesting in this. I'm like, why Joe Jackson? Yeah, well, you it was mean guys in this. Like, yeah, why Joe actually, Jackson? The the it was written. This is the whole movie is is based on a book that yes. was written, and I'll get into it a, a more in detail later. But the whole premise of it is about Joe Jackson. So uh, it was about giving him another shot, right? Being right, being unjustly kind of banned or whatever. So I mean, it's a very unique story in that sense, right? Because like, who who other than maybe like. I guess Pete Rose would be like the the more modern day, and then I guess if you wanted to like steroid guys, but like Bonds or somebody maybe. I have a theory about who I would if. uh, Actually, you know what? I'll get into it now. I have a theory. I'd like to see a remake of this movie, and the guy, the person I'd like to see them use instead of Joe Jackson for me though is um, Pete Rose, uh, Josh Gibson. Remember Josh Gibson? Yeah. So he died. One year before they integrated the game, he died like when he was in his prime, still playing. Um, so for me, that's like, oh my God, like he was like the black Babe Ruth, like of, he was the Babe Ruth of the Negro Leagues. And how amazing would it have been to see him in the majors and see him play at least a few years in the majors, which he could have done if he'd, you know, been in his prime and lived longer and made it through to integration, or maybe he was younger, you know, they integrated earlier. That's the career I would have liked to have seen playing in the major leagues at that time during that, that period. So, so I think giving so, him a second chance would have been pretty pretty sweet. So my point is in nineteen, you know, late eighties, pre Google, I wonder before this movie started, how many people actually knew who Shoeless Joe Jackson was? Yeah, I mean I always just wondered that. I was like, I didn't know who it was. My dad had to explain to me who that yeah, guy was. And I was a little kid. I knew, the first time I knew about him was Eight Men Out, the the movie. Yes. Right. Which is after. But I think that's that's just it, right? Like that's it's not necessarily him. It's part. It's the the redemption for him, right? Mm-hmm. It's giving yeah. him that, a place to redeem himself in in a game that he was supposedly loved. So I, I mean, I think it has to be him in that respect because it's yeah. it's never really about uh, it's a him. redemption. It's, it's a redemption story, right? It's it's making right. for for a mistake that you you had in the past. And it's Ray's connection in that parallel between Shoeless Joe Jackson, who Ray yes. ended up yeah. resenting because of his father's yeah. 
you know, he, he started fighting with his father and he took it out on his father by saying, well, your best, your favorite, your idol, your favorite player was a criminal. Yeah. So that, yeah. so it was the parallel redemption. It's where, well, now Ray gets his shot at redemption, even though he doesn't know what that's, that, that this is what it's actually about. He's getting his shot at redemption to say to his dad what he wishes he would have before he died. And then obviously Shulis Joe gets his redemption. And there's that parallel. Uh, yeah, yeah, so I mean, it's it's interesting point. It's just one of those things I think we sometimes think about. Like, you think about past base, dead baseball players, like Shoeless Joe isn't, I know it's based on the book, but it isn't one of those players that comes to your mind all the time. But yeah. I thought overall, Leota was fine. I thought he's a great actor. So I think he did a good job of playing somebody that's like intimidating. Like, yes. he, he has a very good, like, when he's brooding, like, he's got that kind of an expressionist look like his eyes are very intimidating he's got very intimidating eyes like you know he, he looks like a bit of a sociopath that you wouldn't want to meet in the dark alley yeah yeah mm-hmm. and like usually if you're going to meet this like iconic mythical character that you, obviously you never watched play but your your dad did and you're he was always this like overpowering point figure in your life you'd be super intimidated to meet him so i think that added to the mystique and you know the allure of meeting this this larger than life character so mm-hmm. well, i thought he did a good job though yeah. overall yep he, he was fine let's move on to terrence mann played by james earl jones james earl jones is quietly in two of the best baseball movies of all time yeah i mean like it love it you know james earl jones in baseball but like whatever he's in two of the greatest baseball movies ever made um some of the best lines he's probably i think in the movie is my favorite character yeah he steals it for me too i i love him in the movie i do a some of the mannerisms of him when he touches and claps there's even like the way he holds his jacket and he walks around and he's he's in suspenders in the quotes he has some quotes that i'll talk about later this guy in this movie is somebody you need to kind of parallel with kevin costner the whole time through they form a great little team uh the point where he's missing and he's like oh a miracle I think that's pretty funny. And it seems to me like very 60s where you just go missing for a while. It's like the guy in the second base in the sandlot. You just don't know what happened to Bertram. It doesn't really matter. Like, <laughs> Bertram. He got lost in the 60s. Really yeah. um, but you see the importance of his role and it gives Ray like an ally in this like wacko mission that they're on. And I think it was really great. James Earl Jones, I like a lot of the stuff he's in. His voice alone is unbelievable. That initial meeting with Ray in Boston that's some of the best movie, sports movie scenes. Even though it's not really sports going on at the time, those interactions with James Earl Jones and, and uh, Kevin Costner when he's coming to his apartment and all that, I love it. But I think he's great. I love James Earl Jones in this just because he's pure crotchety. Like, he's brilliant. He's, he's brilliant. Like somebody we know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's me. He's brilliant and crotchety at the same time. No, I'm just kidding. No, uh, he's, he's very... He, He's just crotchety and that like totally recluse and love and just like he's content, right? Like he he sees that as like a chapter and he's moved on, but yet he's got this uh, un unfulfilled I don't, I don't know I guess quest in his own right way or relationship with baseball, right? That he's never kind of made right, and so this opportunity then presents itself, and I still don't understand exactly the whole his role in it other than i guess maybe like he was somebody that that um ties costner like when he he leaves and goes to berkeley right like he Mm -hmm. he's that that era of his life that he pulls away from his dad 
right? And and yeah. he started reading the book. So I mean, I guess I get it. And now in retrospect, talk, saying that, but like it just uh, the whole him hearing the voices and everything else about the field. I don't necessarily get that, but I think there was probably something that they needed to have in there to get him to come on this mission somehow. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know let's, if that makes sense. Let's move on to uh, Dr. Archibald Moonlight Graham, and we'll speak about the two actors that play him. So we've got Burt Lancaster, who's a legendary actor that pl played the older version. <clears throat> and then we have Frank Whaley, who's been in a lot of things since then as well. He, he played the younger version. All right, I'm going to start Moonlight. Uh, old version, Burt Lancaster. Oh, handsome. Oh, yeah. wow. So smooth. So smooth. That initial, when you see him walking down the street as an old man and Kevin Costner runs up to him and he turns around and looks at him, I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. That is a handsome devil. Um, just the way he talked. Everything about him, I've written down. I wrote down, he's, you know what I wrote? I just, a gentleman. Yeah. He's the epitome of a gentleman. <laughs> Who goes back to Minnesota when you could be a doctor like that? Like, let's call it like it is, or I got to leave because Felicia thinks I'm going to have a girlfriend or something like that. And he just keeps walking. You're like, that is the ultimate, like, grandfather figure to you. Uh, just, there's something comforting about him the whole time. And his nickname, Moonlight Grant. Just all, everything he talked about, the stories about him, the whole thing, how he just wanted that one little thing to wink at the pitcher, just to mess with him. I thought that was really cool. The stories that came, and he had a little bit left in the basement, but he never got to fulfill it. He, that kind of gave you that little bit of fire, and I thought he was pretty neat. And Burt Lancaster, who else? Not many other people could play that role. And kind of be that magic. He's very magical. I know it sounds kind of weird and juvenile, but he was pretty magical in the show. Oh, Even as a little kid, I was, we had it on VHS growing up. He's kind of magical, this guy. He's Burt Lancaster character. And I didn't know a lot about him at the time, but I know more now. Uh, the younger guy, Whaley, um, very neat too. I thought that was kind of a cool scene uh, The when they're picking him up. And he gets picked up. And I love the story of the barnstorming basically where you go and you work in towns and I remember my dad even told me stories in New Brunswick when he was a little kid of people working day jobs playing at night even in New Brunswick they were doing this and I think that's the romanticism that Costner brings into the baseball world there's that romantic notion of you know the 2030s probably 40s after the war but late 40s into the 50s where there's that romantic notion of playing, uh, working in the day, your day job, play ball at night and on the weekends. And yeah. that's one of those things. And that, my dad used to tell me stories about that, all the barnstorming and all the tours. When I think it's pretty cool. And he just represents to me, again, a lot of romanticism in ball. Yeah, I was going to say the golden years, right? Where yeah. there's there's just that uh, people are just, I don't know, in love with being alive, I guess, for lack of a better term. Like there's just the world had gone through such a shitty experience and between that, the depression and everything else, you know, world war one. And, and now we're at a spot where we're on the other side of it. We're enjoying life in, in a positive way. We're making things. People are making good money, you know, like the world is good. So yeah, I, I, I loved, I loved uh, everything you said about the, the older version, Lancaster version, you know, like just like smooth as silk, like listening to him speak, like it, it's like, you know, like caramel in your mouth, kind of like that feeling, like just everything was smooth about this guy. The younger guy, uh, I think the storyline is really, really cool. I like the scene where he winks. I like the whole coming where he has to like decide what's going to happen when he comes off the field. Yeah. Like I thought that was really, really well done. Um, and that, that 
character story uh, of the it's again that whole redemption piece right and i love i love that one in particular because it it goes to show you like that professional athletes can be fulfilled in their after yeah Uh, good point act for lack of a better term right like how much that guy that guy looks back on his life and yeah he has a little bit of a regret about never really getting that shot but at the same time like He's happy. He's married. He loves. He's married the love of his life. He's helping people. You talk. You hear the people in the town talk about how great he was and how how, how much he impacted them. Right. Uh, just I, I love that part of the story. I, I love that quote where he says, "But you only got to play in one inning. Imagine, you know what what it would." Have been. And he came back and said, "Imagine I only got to be spend one day as a doctor." Like I thought that was pretty. Mm-hmm. Puts everything into perspective. And that's yeah. one thing that really upset me, though. Well, you know, it, it it has to be part of the movie because it's such a poetic piece, or it shows the value of of life uh, in helping people and what have you. Uh, when he does go to cross that line, the whole time I'm like, "Come on, Costner and Timothy Busfield! Like, you you guys live in the country. You got to know CPR if you're gonna have kids in the country and stuff like that. Can you figure it out. Like, let this like let this guy come in if you're in dire straits. But you guys got to get acting on this right now. Like, get down there and figure it out. Get CPR going. Like, yeah, they're both too busy ready to beat the shit out of each other. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's do one more. Let's talk about uh, John Kinsella, who who was uh, Ray Kinsella's father, played by Dwyer Brown. Uh he that scene where he's taken off the catcher's gear. Um, I mean, I don't know anybody who takes their mask off last. I'm not gonna lie to you, but it's usually the first thing going off. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just call it like it is. As soon as you you gear that thing right off. Anyway, um, I thought it was pretty cool. His body. I thought he did a good job just with his. I'm not trying to act too technical, but just his body language alone was pretty good. Um, he was fine. I thought he was great. He kind of could have passed for Kevin Costner's dad. I was going to say that. They they did a really good job casting him because he looked like he could have been like a Costner's dad. And he was a handsome prick, that guy. Oh, yeah. And being a catcher, Yankee, or I think with Yankee gear, was he in? Was he in Yankee gear? I think it was a minor league team in in New York. Yeah, okay. like a minor league affiliate of the Yankees. I wasn't sure of that. That's what I'm saying. I was like, I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, he did a great job. It was easy, like not an easy role, but it was well casted. That's what I'm going to say. I'm not. I can't say a lot about the actor, but yeah. the role well casted and well executed through that. But I mean, he didn't have a ton to do. If that makes yeah, sense. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, we don't really. There's not a whole lot to talk about with him. I will say that, like, the the character himself of the dad, and you hear about, like, basically just, there's something honorable about that guy, right? The fact that, like, he did what he needed to do to help be a dad and be a kid, uh, this kid, right? Like, working down at the docks or whatever it was, and yet yeah. he still tried to, he, he never, he never walked away from baseball fully, but, like, he never let it, like, um, I don't know what the word is like, like negatively, negatively, like fixated on it. Like it was never all what could have happened kind of thing. It didn't sound like anyways. He was Uh, just, he was going through such a tough era in life. Yeah. Like you mentioned before, Webb, like Great Depression, everything. He didn't Mm -hmm. have time to even do that because you're just living by the day to get to the next day at that point and keep the roof over your family's head. And that, that's why it probably frustrates you to see your kid. You go through that struggle, and then your kid just becomes a hippie and like runs away and like 
you know, burns bras and stuff. Like, you know, I mean, that that's got to yeah. be such a kick in the junk for a guy like that. Yeah, and I mean, that's and and that's I feel like that's a struggle regardless of just that's a, just ge- a generational struggle, right? Like everybody goes through it. At some point, I was going to say that's counterculture at its finest. That's it. It is. It, is. it doesn't. It has nothing to do with anything in particular. It's just like one gen, an older generation looking at a younger generation and being like, "You goddamn millennials!" Like or something, whatever it is. Like it, it is what it is, right? It just happens. But yeah, it's a fair point, James. You know what? One thing I really loved about that scene, and I'm glad they did it this way, was. Uh, the whole time you're there, you're like, is he gonna? Is he gonna say like, you're my dad? Like, does he know that he's his dad? So there's that whole thing about like, and you can see that Costner's trying not to lead that on because he's like, well, this guy probably doesn't know who I am, and do I really want to bring that up at this point? Like, so there's that awkwardness, but but also John has a little bit of awkwardness too. It's like maybe does he know, and he's just not saying it. Like, how's that going? And then at the end. When when like Costner just re- calls out to him as he's walking away and just says calls him dad, yeah. And John, mm-hmm. you could tell he wasn't like surprised when he said it. You could tell he knew that's my son. And he's like, "Can would you want to have a catch?" And he's like, uh, "You know, absolutely or whatever." Like that was that moment where you're like, they both knew who each other were, and then there's that nice connection. Were you allowed to cry? Yeah, that that was. I just love the okay. way they did that scene. I just thought it was so perfect. Someone's chopping onions during that scene. Or something. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. There's a little dust in the air. That's all. Yeah, that's all it is. So let's jump into quotes. Oh, jump into Jesus. quotes. Are there any quotes that stuck out stuck out for you? Oh yeah, I have I have quite a few. I have one of my favorite movie quotes of all time. And I talked to my sister about this. And she said, What movie are you doing? I said, Feel the Dreams. And she said, Are you gonna do that one? I was like, Oh yeah. So at Fenway Park, when he asked what he wants. And he's going, I want to be left alone, Terrence Mann, when, yeah. when Ray's asking Terrence, I want to be left alone, I want this, all this higher order, I want to be left alone. What do you want? I mean, what do you want? Oh, what do you want to eat? Oh, dog and a beer. And it's like <laughs> yeah. the greatest baseball thing ever. And what do we get when we go to ball games? We get a dog and a beer. And that's just like the about- standard. And I think at that Fenway concession, I've gotten a dog and a beer at that we Fenway did. concession. We got one there. <laughs> And yeah, how about, how about it only being seven bucks for two dogs and two beers? Like, hey, yeah, yeah, it's it's seven D. You're missing a place value on that one. Yeah, a uh, couple other ones I had was uh, sorry, uh, the smell of bar- ballpark, uh, the smell of the ballpark in my nose. Shoeless Joe says that. Yes, like, that is 100. When you stop playing baseball, that is one thing you actually miss. There's something about the smell of a ballpark. I know it sounds really weird, but you smell your glove, like even the smell of your glove. And I know this gets really weird, like the smell of my hand yeah. when you pull it out of my glove and you can smell it or when you're fixing your or just put again, your nose right? in your glove, like when you put your, your nose in your glove or where you're fixing a uh, lace and you're grabbing it with your teeth and pulling on it. And that's teeth mark, just little things like that and the smell. And you smell like a you just get that leathery smell, the smell of the ball. Yeah. The smell of the ballpark in your nose is good, or it might be a dog roasting or something. That those quotes were awesome for me. And the last one that I'll go with was, um, "It's a gun, right?" That's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, no, that's <laughs> your finger. It's your finger. It's a gun. That's oh, your finger. And then he's like, "This is a crowbar. I'm gonna beat you with it." <laughs> it's just a great scene. I love it. Yeah, what do you do? Are... I'm gonna beat you with a crowbar. <laughs> I'm gonna beat you with a crowbar. I'm gonna beat you with it. I mean, I can't do his voice whatsoever, but that's a one and only voice. So like, those are some of mine. I was going to say, I liked the opening kind of like, uh, 
introductory scene where Costner's doing like the uh, the monologue over top. Yeah, and he's talking about I majored in the sixties. Like I thought that was a great line <laughs> and just totally fitting. And then the other one I have written down here, and I don't think I actually looking at my note now. I don't know if it makes sense. It was like, you know why he stopped writing books, don't you? He masturbated. I don't know why. <laughs> that was so fucking funny, and I don't know why it was in there. It didn't make sense to me, but I was pissing myself laughing at it. Well, because it's just so, like, what? <laughs> yeah, it just didn't make sense. And then, of course, like, is this heaven? No, it's Iowa. Like, that's yeah. the classic one. Yeah, the classic. great. Yeah. I like the one where, uh, and we talked a little bit about it earlier, was uh, Shoeless Joe Jackson, the... Uh, when he has that scene where uh, Archie Graham has been uh, thrown, they, they threw at his head twice, and, he, and then Shoeless Joe Jackson calls him over to the backstop, and he's like, hey, kid, the first two are high and tight, so where do you think the next one's going to be? And the kid's like, well, either low and away or in my ear. Jack, Shoeless Joe Jackson's like, well, he's not going to want to load the bases, so look low and away. And Graham's like, right, and he walks back to the box, and as he's walking back, Shoeless Joe goes, but watch out for the one in your ear. <laughs> I love that one. I love it. Uh, and then the I other feel one, like, uh, sorry, one more ad was uh, when Ray says, Annie, the voice is back. And she's like, oh, Lord, what are you supposed to build a football field now? <laughs> <laughs> Just her wit. So, and you talked about her earlier. She has so, she's so plucky. I loved her in this movie. She was great. Oh, she was wonderful. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's jump into some uh, little known facts. So the movie is based on, uh, actually, it was a Canadian author, W.P. Kinsella's book, Shoeless Joe. So the the book was actually named Shoeless Joe. So when you were talking about earlier, why does it need to be Shoeless Joe? Well, that was the book was there actually. So um, the studio built the baseball diamond on an actual farm in Dyersville, uh, Iowa. After the filming was complete, the family that owned the farm kept the field and added a small hut with inexpensive uh, souvenirs for sale. As of 2018, when this uh, was in this article that I found, uh, visitors were free to come to the field and play baseball as they please between April and November. The actual location is 28995 Lansing Drive, Dyersville, Iowa, and they're open from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. daily. We might have to put that in the bucket list, boys. Guys, apparently, absolutely. Research into this, Jim. Apparently, yeah. you can go and actually like stay on the farm, like a B and B. Oh, but you have, and but you, uh, you basically can't use the field during like the operational hours. But if you're staying there, you can use the field after hours for like your own purposes as long as you want. So, like, you can take BP there. We could go. We could go out after everybody's left, and we could have a game of our own or whatever. Oh, we got to put that on the bucket list. They are BP at that field. Imagine Amazing. being a pickle between second and third on that field. Yeah, I mean, get, oh. get you. Oh. Got to put that on the list. That's on the That'd list. Be so much fun. Oh wow! What a what a night that would be. Yeah. So shoeless Joe Jackson in the movie remarks about Ty Cobb's desire to play at the field. Uh, none of us could stand the son of a bitch when he was alive, so we told him to stick it. Well, in real life, uh, Cobb and Shoeless Joe Jackson were actually really close friends. In Jackson's later life, when he ran a liquor store in South Carolina, Ty Cobb stopped there to buy bourbon. During the sale, Jackson made no sign of recognition of Cobb until Cobb finally said, For God's sakes, Joe, don't you remember me? Jackson somberly replied, Well, sure, I remember you, Ty. I just didn't think anyone wanted to remember me. So it just shows you kind of the shame that he carried around. It's kind of sad to think of, actually. Um so Archibald Wright Moonlight Graham 
was actually a true-to-life American professional baseball player and medical doctor and was actually a former U.S. senator who appeared as a right fielder in a single major league game with the New York Giants on uh, June 29, 1905. So his story was popular popularized by Shoeless Joe, the novel that we had mentioned was written by W.P. Kinsella. So he's actually based on an actual person, and and that was that, that came out of that book. So Ray Liotta had no baseball experience and batted right-handed, although Shoeless Joe Jackson was a lefty. Phil Alden Robinson allowed Liotta to bat with his right, but still put him through several weeks of extensive training with the University of Southern California baseball coach and former Brooklyn Dodger Rod in order to be convincing as one of the sport's greatest hitters. Leota eventually developed a pretty good swing, and the scene where he hits the line drive straight back at Costner and hits the ball bag, uh, that actually happened. It wasn't scripted. Costner fell to the mound, and that was real, and the laugh that he had after. It was tough for them to stay in character, but they pulled it off. So that was awesome. I, I love that scene. It was pretty cool, cool when he hits it right back. It was just, it was just so fitting. So although uh, Shoeless Joe Jackson was a left-handed hitter, producers decided to let uh, Ray Liotta bat from his natural right-handed side. Liotta often had people point out the inaccuracy to him, to which he would respond, Guess what, asshole? None of the players ever came back to life either. <laughs> <laughs> and he'd get back. <laughs> oh, his luck. <laughs> we told him to check it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I thought that was hilarious. Um, so then, then unknown Ben Affleck and Matt Damon... Among with, uh, were actually among the thousands of extras that they had at the Fenway Park scene and were uncredited in the movie. That's kind of cool. Cool. Really cool. Uh, Burt Lancaster was unaware that Timothy Buff, Buff, ah, that Timothy Busfield was part of the cast and had him fetching water and chairs before realizing that Busfield <laughs> was going to be in the scenes with him. Uh, <laughs> apparently, Busfield was just so enamored with uh, Lancaster, who was one of his idols, that he just went along with it. <laughs> That's amazing. That's what are you going to say to him at that point? He's so established that oh, like, yeah, this guy yeah. hangs out with him like Kirk Douglas. <laughs> like, you what are you going to do? What's really cool about that? The fact that's a that's a guy right there recognizing he's paying his dues. Yeah, yep, for sure. Absolutely. It's really cool. So James Earl Jones actually hates baseball in real life. And and it's funny because you mentioned Jerry. He's in two of the best baseball movies ever. Yeah. Sorry, James Earl Jones. <laughs> what do you say? Uh, so in the novel, the author that Ray Kinsella is seeking out is actually J.D. Salinger. So Salinger, on whom the character Terrence Mann is based, was uh, so offended by the fictional portrayal of him in the book that he had his lawyers say that if they ever were to move this to another type of media, like a movie or another book or anything, they better not be using his name in there or they'll face legal, uh, legal action. So it was funny too, because uh, when I was watching it, um, I was thinking like Terrence Mann's kind of like J.D. Salinger because he went into, you know, became a recluse after he, you know, he was a, his amazing books like Catcher in the Rye, all those other types, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of parallels obviously there. For the first time in 2020, the Chicago White Sox and New York Yankees were scheduled to play an actual game on the movie baseball field in Iowa. However, the game was canceled due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Just another thing that the pandemic stole from us. Thanks, COVID. Yeah, brutal. God, COVID. I would have been on the Yes Network. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Duh, Yankees would. How would they have done that without the uh, bleacher creatures, though? Yeah. 
have a roll call from the cornfield. The cornfield, the cornfield crew. And we'd be whispering it. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> so Tom Hanks was originally offered the role um, because the studio figured Costner, their first choice, who had just starred in Bull Durham, wouldn't want to do another baseball movie. When Hanks turned it down, they made the pitch to Costner, who loved the project and accepted it right away. Of course. Makes sense. I mean, good, it, good, good call there, Costner. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So the voice is credited, credited as simply as himself. The identity of the actor who provided it still remains unknown to this day. W.P. Kinsella uh, said he believes that the voice was actually Ed Harris, the real-life husband of Amy Madigan. Others have speculated that the voice was performed by Ray Liotta, Timothy Busfield, or Kevin Costner. That'd be pretty cool if it was Ed Harris. I love it. I Harris. think it was Ed Harris. I Harris actually really it. firmly believe it was. Got to be Ed Harris. We're rolling with it. Let's say it's Ed Harris too. Yeah. Get him in. It would get him in on that movie, yeah. and then Madigan would be like, "I'm going to get you in on this movie. You're going to be the voice." And he seems like a great dude. And be like, "Yeah, let's do it." And they're probably drinking pints. And he's like, "Yeah, let's make you the voice." And he's like, "Okay, yeah. ripping cigs." Ripping cigs. <laughs> <laughs> that's the word. That's just the line of the day. Riff is saying. <laughs> Thanks, Blake Bortles. Uh, so, <laughs> when Shoeless Joe Jackson asks about the lights at the ball field, Ray comments that every ballpark has them now, adding that even Wrigley Field. So, Wrigley Field famously had been the only major league stadium without lights, not adding them until August 1988, just a few months prior to the film's release. So that was a thing back in the day. That everything was a day game, even with double headers. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't, they didn't play any games at night back in the back in the old days. I what love daytime baseball. Hey, yeah. One hell of a franchise. Yeah, the Cubs, man. You really just, you know what I mean? Like, just that's Shucks. the model franchise, especially in yeah. the NL Central. Model franchise of that division. Oh yeah, shut up. <laughs> you know what though like in that division, the thing with the Cardinal Cub rivalry is like I hate the Cubs, but I don't like hate the Cubs. You still, like, respect them. It's like how... Cardinal Cub run. What's that? I was going to say, it's like Jays fans, we hate the Yankees, and I mean hate the Yankees, but uh, you don't hate the Red Sox as much as you hate the Red Sox. Yeah, like, the Cubs, like, I don't like the Cubs. I love when the Cardinals beat the Cubs, but there's something about it. It's just like a wholesome rivalry. Well, and it's because Wrigley's so freaking awesome. Wrigley's awesome. Bush is awesome. Both teams are like iconic, and it's just like an old school baseball game when those two teams play. That being said, let's I, I like be honest. Stuff. Let's be honest. From a Cardinals fan point of view, you usually kick the shit out of them. Yeah, we're doing fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. we're doing lot. okay. There's not a whole lot to be upset about. No, there's not. So, so Eddie Seacott is the pitcher who almost hits Archie Graham at the plate in in the, that scene where he dusts him off. Uh, coincidentally, it was Seacott who plunked the first batter of the 1919 World Series, and that was the signal to the gamblers that the fix was in. So it's kind of a, I don't know if that was intentional or not, but let's jump into our realism review. What was realistic and what was unrealistic? All right, so I'll go first. One thing that was real, it's kind of one of those things we might have missed in characters, but it's kind of real right now. The guy from the Sandlot who plays the great Bambino is also, uh, I forget which baseball player he is. He's in this movie as well. I forgot to mention that. Oh, yes. Uh, What's his name? And I forget which he's the first baseman in this one. He, the great Bambino from the Sandlot is the first baseman for the Chicago White Sox, Black Sox. Black Sox, yeah. I thought in the realism, yeah, he's the Bambino. Not not the Hambino, not the Hambino. No, 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 not the Hambino. Babe Ruth, the guy that played Babe, Babe Ruth. Who comes into Benny the Jets? Oh, uh, yeah. Benny the Jets' bedroom and talks. You're the one with the rubber legs. 
I thought you were telling me, how is the kid physically in this movie? <laughs> oh, no, sorry. No, he plays Babe Ruth, sorry. I got what yeah. you said. Okay. Okay, so a couple things that I had, lot, you know, obviously there's some, but for real, I played, or I threw in uh, the Cal Berkeley piece in the 60s, uh, 60s, 70s. That's pretty, like, that's the Haight-Ashbury area. That's all very real to me. Midwest baseball parks and the romantic notion of Midwest baseball. Uh, I talked about barnstorming already. Uh, the names of proper players. There's Mel Ott. You heard him say the names. And those are Gil all legit. Gil Ott, those are real proper players. Um, some of the other things what, that I had were uh, the position of the players. Or the pitcher you just mentioned, Jamer, that was the guy from the Black Sox thing who said game on. And that's that's pretty well known where you're like, okay, that when he plunked the guy, the, you know, that fixes in, basically. That was the cue. Um, some of the things, there's lots of stuff, but, and there's lots that we can go on and fake because we know it's magical, it's majestic, but some of the things I had, (laughs) (laughs) oh, the other thing I had for real were the bills and the frustration. I thought that was a good piece to keep putting in. We're realizing like, we're out of money here. Like, this is unbelievable. And it kind of put that tension on that hit on the realism meets the romanticism part. Um, sorry. So the fake things I had was Ray. I know this, I am not a corn farmer. But when he's walking around with a shovel, lifting up random things of 10 bazillion pieces of corn, yeah. like I, I don't know. Maybe farmers can chime in on me on that one. I'm like, I don't know how real this is when you're walking around with a shovel and randomly picking up pieces of corn. Um, I saw a couple other things, and I know this is getting nitpicky. Um, the Joe Jackson piece, sorry, Ray Liotta, that is not right, that he didn't bat that way. And there was some a couple other things when they are playing that I kind of noticed. For example, again, nitpicky, but the pitcher was taking cuts to home in some of their games. Mm. Pitchers don't take cuts to home. <laughs> First baseman and third baseman take cuts to home. Pitcher backs up home play. I noticed some of that stuff right away, and those are little things, but the guy like Kevin Costner, I'm surprised he didn't catch that one. Again, whatever. You can nitpick it. Uh, fake Ray Otis swing in some of the things is rough. Holy cow. Um, I know they say he caught on. Maybe at a line drive, but Costner also threw him a very soft pitch. But yeah. That's his curveball. Some of his swings were pretty bad. <laughs> um, the other things were... Well, keep in mind, he hasn't right. played baseball and he's dead. He hasn't played that baseball is true. in 70 years and he's dead. You know, those were just some <laughs> of the break. little things. I Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Fun. And I mean, besides <laughs> the magic part, I'm not going to get into that because that's not necessary or <laughs> needed. I think it was cool to incorporate Fenway Park into it. Um I thought the scenes in Boston were kind of cool. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty because we know that's not real. I, I honestly don't have a whole lot in this. I, I'll be quite honest. I didn't really look for a lot of realism or non-realism in this movie. It's not something that I would do in this particular movie. I enjoy it too much just for the movie, for the sake of it is. The one thing I will say is there's a reason why Costner's farm is failing, and it has nothing to do with the fact that he built the, the ball diamond. It's that he never works the farm. You're a <laughs> farmer for crying out loud. You gotta work the farm if you're gonna make yeah, it's all that's your life. You're just working and sleeping. That's it. Maybe Clyde Polly Shore. Hey, maybe <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you get the grind it. <laughs> Uh, love it. Uh, uh, but yeah, awesome. seriously, you plow the field, then you plow the misses, then you go to bed. That's the way. Yeah, I mean, I just had some normal stuff. Like, 
they did a good job with the old uniforms and the, the the gloves and kind of the old playing style where they they catch everything with two hands and uh, the way the pitchers do the double arm pump before they throw. You know, all the old style. They did a pretty good job with that. Uh, the one thing I really liked was uh, how Costner turns into a little kid when he first sees Joe Jackson. He comes out like he's his voice gets higher. He's kind of like jogging around like he's got more bounce in his head. He, he looks his eyes are huge like he just looks like a little kid which is like what would happen i just picture like you know me getting the chance to go hang out with ken griffey jr and play catch with him i'd be like i'd revert to my like 12 year old self you know what i mean like it'd just be you'd fill a role yeah like you just you just turn into a child which i thought was pretty cool the guys i love the guys chirping each other like uh when they all came back to play that was fun like all that stuff that. Um, uh, the the outrage at the city council, you touched on it earlier, Webb. Like, you know, people just getting mad all the time, wanting to get after each other. It's just, and we see it nowadays, right? Like, it never changes over time. It's just there's constantly going to be people fighting over things and calling each other communists. You know, like that's just that's because yeah, you, you show a little bit of decency. Yeah. Uh, the only unrealistic thing that I wanted to point out that you guys uh, you guys touched on a lot of things already, but. Building that ball field, um, even in that, even in the late '80s, that's they wouldn't have had nearly enough money to do that. That's a million-dollar baseball field, even in the '80s. Like that's just those light stanchions alone would be ridiculous, like cost-wise, and not to mention all of the, the all the the work they would have had to do to level it and land. Because when he first looks at it, it's on a side hill. And then it's level when he builds. Like, there's just so much work that would have had to go in there. That's a huge project. Like, and you, Jr., you've done a lot of field maintenance. Like, that's, it's not cheap. No, it's really not. Even like building a mound is like you know, like potter's clay. It costs a ton just to maintain a mound. Just lining it all the time. Yeah. Oh yeah, lining it. Lines, lines expensive. We used to use flour to cheap out sometimes. Like that's how. And like anything like that. Oh yeah, you just gets wild oh yeah yeah let's jump in the soundtrack so music was composed by james horner horner is an american composer conductor uh he was known for his integration of choral and uh, electronic elements and for his frequent use of motifs associated associated with celtic music he won two academy awards six grammys two golden globes three satellite awards three saturn awards now we're in space uh nominated for three bafta awards uh unfortunately horner who was an avid pilot, <clears throat> died at the age of 61 in a single fatality crash while flying his short Tucano turboprop aircraft. The good ones always die in these stupid single-plane accidents, as we know, Roy. Um, <clears throat> what do you guys think about the soundtrack? Uh, I'll be quick and brief, as usual. Uh, fine with me. Um, the, the era music was great for me, Webb. Uh, I thought it was great. It wasn't my highlight by any means, but it did not infringe on me either. There's not a whole lot of pop music that we can really draw on in this kind of conversation. There's a couple songs that are okay, but I mean, for the most part, it's that, um, like you said, kind of like the orchestra piece in the background, right? That just provides kind of like the storytelling element. So I thought it, it did a great job for what it was supposed to do. It would have been nice to kind of like the road tripping scenes where they did have a little bit of a pop music it would have been nice to have some, a little bit more of that, uh, I, I don't know, like, to bring that whole counterculture piece full circle, right, to have, like, 
Costner throwing like a Janis Joplin CD or something like that. That being said, I don't know what the budget was like for music for this movie. It probably wasn't a ton, so who knows? Yep. All good points. Uh, let's just do a quick wrap-up here. Where does this movie rank among all-time baseball movies, and where do you have it among all-time sports movies? It's a top 10 in baseball. It's a top uh, in the top 50 in movies overall. Right away. Top 10 in baseball. i got to put it in there. I owned it on VHS. I watched it a lot. And overall for sports, because I've watched it so much, top 50. Interesting. Uh, Baseball-wise, I think you... So here's the thing. I'm going to put it at one, uh, with the caveat that I know it's at one only because I I like the idea of the redemption piece being like Mm, the main theme. Absolutely. It, it really doesn't you can argue and i'd be okay with it and, uh, and i'd probably go along with you that there are better baseball movies mm-hmm. um but this to me is like the pure joy and pure simplicity of baseball right and they use baseball really just as the backdrop to kind of to to kind of really get at the idea of redemption that can be in anything and and to me that's the power of sports right it it, it teaches us about life in so many different ways um, and this this redemption piece, I think, is a huge part of it. So, yeah, I'm going to put it at one for baseball movies all time. I'd say it's probably in my top uh, – I'll go top 30. I'll say it's in, in around the top 30. Oh, one? Yeah, I really lo- – yeah, oh, yeah. One. I love this movie. It, if you ask – I think if you ask the general public, what's the what's your if you go like baseball movies yep. off the top of your head, what's the number one you would think of? People people are going to put this one near the top. So that alone, but plus, I just I love I love the the theme of it. Basically, yep. I love the me- I love the message behind. It. I love the simplicity. It's like you said, the fact that I can you know be cutting onions at the end scene and feel okay about it. Like there's something about that. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like it sits well with me. So I don't know. I love it. I I, I would put it high. It's high for yeah. me. No, it, it, that's a good point, Webb. And and when last time I watched this movie actually was when I was too young to appreciate it. And and I you know back then I'm like ah it's kind of boring because you're used to like major league that's in your face all movie right. So I had it before I watched it this time. I actually had it ranked lower on my list than both baseball and thing. But I have it bumped up now. It's number five on baseball. And it's number 16 all time. So it moved up quite a bit for me. So do you find this? And this is, Jamer, to your point you just made. The last time I watched this, I think I was probably, I don't know, let's say 12. Like I was, I was like, a, a, me. like a tween teenager, right? And now watching it, I think part of it, you know what it is, Jer? It's watching it as a dad. Yes, yes. Of course. Right? Yeah. You have a whole new profound appreciation for it. That's a great point. Absolutely. Yeah, that's fair. You, you, you make a, a great point. A lot of these movies we do, right? We we You look at it from a different lens, obviously, than what you did. Um, mm-hmm. The only one that I maybe wouldn't, like, above the rim, it, the way I felt about it then is the same way I still feel about it, so maybe not. But, like, this one is a little bit different for me just because of the, the dad piece. Yeah, 100%. I, I agree with that. I get your All points. Right. I uh, I don't have – I can't put it at one, though. I know. I got other ones at one. We got other. We, we, know. we know. Sorry. Can't do it. So um, this week's draft, we're going to keep it in line with what we're doing, and we're going to do this week's draft topic is 
if you could build your own field of dreams, which deceased ball players would you want to pop out of your cornfield? So if you could build your own field of dreams, which deceased ball players would you want popping out of your cornfield so you can play with after dinner and everyone's going to bed? Shoot the shit. Yeah. Have a couple pops and a cig. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We can't can't play golf because a couple of those guys will all drive in the same car and have a couple pops after. You're you're number one this week, I think, Webb. All right. So... I've got one. I'm going to keep them locked and loaded just because I don't think you guys, well, Jamer maybe, but I don't think JR will take them. So I'm going to leave that one. I'm going to go off. I'm going to go different route. I'm going to go with, uh, I I think I got it. I would go with Jackie Robinson as my number one, uh, only because I would love to just sit there, play catch, and hear about his perspective on that whole, whole, just that whole experience. Yeah. Like, We've seen, you know, 42 is a great movie. Like, uh, JR and I have read Teammates to Kids numerous times. Like, we know the Jackie Robinson, but to hear it from his perspective, I think yeah. would be so neat. Um, and obviously, the impact that he's had, not just in sports, but like culturally and everything else, I think it would be really, really cool. So, I'm going to go with Jackie Robinson as my number one pick. Good pick. Good pick. Who's up next, JR? Is it you or me? Uh, you go ahead. I'll go. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Love that pick, Webb. Good pick. Great pick. I'm gonna Webb. I'm gonna stay in the same era, in the same kind of theme. I'm going with uh, this Hall of Famer who made his professional debut in 1926 with the Chattanooga Black Lookouts of the Negro Southern League. Over the next two decades, he became one of the greatest pitchers to ever play in the Negro Leagues, with legendary stories of him, him making all his fielders sit out innings while he would go out and strike out the side. He made his major league debut in 1948 with the Cleveland Indians at the age of 42 and proceeded to pitch for six more seasons in the majors, twice being named an all-star. His last season of professional baseball came at the age of 59. I'm talking about Leroy Satchel Page. I think he would just be the coolest, one of the coolest guys ever to be around. The way he dressed, the way he, his mannerisms, um, mm-hmm. hearing stories from uh, some of his contemporaries at the time, he was just he was just like larger than life, and I think he'd be a wicked guy to have around. And dominating, right? So like dominating. Oh, yeah. dominating, like intimidating. Yeah, they, dominating. Uh, they, they made rules in baseball because of him. Like one of you know the hesitation pitch. Yeah. There, he had so much athleticism that he could literally stop his delivery almost before he put his foot on the ground, and then still throw a BB after. You know who's you know who's you know who's getting really really good at that? Strowman. He is good at it, yeah. Roman is really good year. Yeah, he is. He's really good at that. I mean, God love him. I miss him tremendously as a J. I loved him. Anyway, sorry, JR. No worries. Um, okay, so my first pick as the third uh, third pick overall here. My first one's going to be I'm gonna stick with St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, I have to pick this guy. He just recently passed. They lowered a mound in nineteen sixty eight because of him. I can't not go without him. The ultimate gamer. If you try to, I would challenge any manager today to come take a ball from him in the seventh inning. It's oh. not happening. <laughs> Webb, former Harlem Globetrotter. Yeah. Bob Gibson. I my it's dad's not, hero is Bob Gibson, I and say, I grew up hearing about Bob Gibson. Personal I, hero, of Big Tom. One of my dad, Gordy Howe, Bob Gibson. Those are some of my dad's heroes, and Bob Gibson unfortunately just passed, and I would love to have a catch with that guy talk pitching alone 
tough as nails too. Tried to take the ball from him. Good luck. Uh, okay, so that's pick one, definitely. Pick two. Ooh, I'd like to have a chat with this guy because he, and I'd love to play. I'd actually like to get some hitting tips from this guy because I needed them always. Um, passed away before his time in a plane crash. Uh, Pittsburgh Pirate. Uh, probably one of the greatest Latin players of all time and is a model to still kids today, Roberto Clemente. Yeah. I think coming out of the cornfield, Roberto Clemente walking out of there would be unbelievable to see. It'd be awesome. Unbelievable. All right, I'm up. Well, I'm going uh, to pick this guy. I mentioned him already earlier, and I just think he's one of the most fascinating guys. I've read a book on him. I've watched a documentary on him. He's, he's in a movie that I really love, too, uh, Soul of the Game. Uh, he's a Hall of Famer, widely known as the Black Babe Ruth. For, uh, while those fortunate enough to see both of them play call Babe Ruth the white Josh Gibson. He holds the Negro League record for most career home runs uh, and effective December 2020 when the Major League when Major League decided to that they would recognize Negro League records. Gibson holds the single season batting average record with an average of 441. Sadly, Gibson passed away from a stroke at the age of 35 while he was still in his prime um, and was only one year shy of integration of baseball. I think it would have been pretty amazing to see him break that barrier as well. And I think, uh, and as I mentioned earlier, to me, that would be a really cool remake because he was kind of a guy that everybody, all his contemporaries said, this is the guy that he's the best player nobody got to see. So I think it'd be pretty cool to see him. Cool. Very cool pick. Uh, okay, second pick. I'm going with uh, I'm going with the home run leader of all time. I'm going with Henry Hank Aaron. Uh, again, recently passed uh, for the sole fact that I think it would be so cool to for Jackie Robinson Robinson to see what happened because of him uh, and, and see and I mean Henry Aaron in his own right was a huge activist uh, and did so much for the black community and baseball in general and. and just for that connection alone to be to be made and happen, I think that would be really really cool. So I'm going with him. Uh, third pick, I'm going with uh, who you guys graciously left on the board for me. So thank you because we both know or we all know that baseball is not Webb's forte compared to other sports. This is uh, definitely your jam. But he's my favorite Jay of all time. He's probably one of my top. He's he's probably athlete number two on my all time list just because he was such a amazing human being gone way too soon died tragically in a in a plane crash uh and the jays god love them just uh named a whole accessible field after him uh today actually so you know shout out to the my boy uh roy holiday doc love him uh miss him and yeah great guy great cool. pick yeah. great pick web yeah well we couldn't take doc on you but <laughs> i got it no. Oh, definitely. All right, for my last pick, um, I'm going to pick this guy. He's he's just one of the most fascinating uh, athletes and people that I've ever read about. Uh, I have his book, The Kid, and it's 937. It's a it's one of one of the the, the leading bi biographies that that's ever been written on him, and it's 937 pages. I read it in a week. Like it, it was just. His life is, you can't fit anything, his life was just so crazy that yeah, it, it took that many pages to put this together. But 
this Hall of Famer was a renaissance man, having been arguably the greatest hitter in baseball history, one of the most highly decorated fighter pilots in U.S. military history, and was a world-class angler. In uh, his Hall of Fame induction speech in 1966, Williams pitched uh, for Negro League players to be inducted into the Hall of Fame, stating, I've been very lucky to have worn a baseball uniform, and I hope that someday the names of Satchel Paige and Josh Gibson in some way can be added as a symbol of the great Negro League players who are not here only because they weren't given a chance. He was just a great guy. He's, a, he's donated so much of his time and money over the years to the Jimmy Fund, which is uh, ra- raising money for children that were suffering from different illnesses and stuff. He, he's just a fascinating guy, and and me being a baseball nerd, he loved talk. He could talk for hours and hours and hours about baseball mechanics and hitting and weird things like that. So I could just sit and listen to him go on and on and on for days talking about that stuff. So I got Ted Williams as, as my guy, my third pick, and he's got Absolutely. the. I, and he's and he may be able to be brought back one day with uh with with the cryogenically being cryogenically frozen. <laughs> oh my gosh! Or uh, freeze him. <laughs> hey, Jamer, fly fishing in the Miramichi River. There you go. Yeah, he had a place in New Brunswick. Did you know that? He did. He had a place in New Brunswick and a place in the Keys, and he spent split nice. time between those places. He'd spend the summers in Miramichi and the winters in uh, the Keys. And if you get the chance to do the Fenway tour, they point out where his famous home run is and the seat. The red seat. The red seat seat in right field. Oh, yeah, that's right. Forgot about that. Seriously, seriously, I don't know. Like, the Yankees have some cool stuff, but the Red Sox lure and the Red Sox history, it's second to none for me. I love it. When you see, like, when you go to that place, holy. When you see in Fenway Park, too, all the dents and the green monsters, it's just really cool. Yeah. Okay, so last pick. Well, there's, I can pick from whoever I want. There's so many to pick from. I'm actually going to pick from somebody who it's not, oh, God, I'll mention them, but it's somebody who I would have really liked to have seen, talked to, had a catch with, talked, just interacted baseball wise with. And he was a New York Yankee, but it's not Ruther Garrick. Um, he was the captain before the captain. And this guy exuded New York Yankee baseball. As much as we hate the Yankees, sometimes a proper Yankee captain is a Yankee captain. And Thurman Munson, boys, yeah. I would have loved to have thrown to a guy like Thurman Munson as my catcher. He's a catcher before what we knew was a catcher. So you think guys like Jason Veritek, they probably modeled their game off a guy like Thurman Munson. He'd be cool. He would Tragically be a cool guy well. to talk to. Yeah, he did. And I think as a, he was a captain of the Yankees in those rough time, rough eras, and he was there when it mattered. Oh, yeah. Third month aspect. I mean, it's like Jeter, right? Like, you hate him because he's a Yankee, but you love him because – you. sorry, I shouldn't say you love him. You respect him for oh, the yeah. person and leader he was, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I love Honorable you. mentions. Uh, it was tough for me to leave Mickey Mantle off that list. I love Mickey Mantle. I'm surprised you didn't pick him, Jaber. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, I that could be on your on your list. Whenever they say like, which guys would you have liked to have seen if they'd stayed healthy their whole career? He's like number one on my list. I would have loved to see what he had done with like a uh, being healthy his whole career. Yogi Berra would have been another guy. All I mean, just his quotes alone, just to hear him rattle off quotes. Like ninety ninety percent of the game is half mental. It gets uh, late early out here. Yeah, from one to four. <laughs> we made too many wrong mistakes. There's I feel so like I feel like the Yankees alone could have given us a draft. Yeah. Well, 
<laughs> we haven't even mentioned Ruth or Gehrig. No. Yeah. <laughs> Those, come on. One, one other guy that I had on there who passed away way too young was uh, Jose Fernandez. Like, just how good yeah. he was when he was so young. And then he was his trajectory was looking really good, like his career. And he was, I loved his, like, charisma. Like, how he'd get, he'd strike guys out and, and they'd be pissed and he'd get them to smile. You know what I mean? Like, he'd just, he had little quirky things like Vlad did the other night where he was crouching with uh, Romano just to... He, he had that. Uh, he made the game fun, and he just had a zest for life. Just gone what about uh, Jimmy Fox? Yeah. What do you guys think of Jimmy Fox? I had Jimmy Fox on my list. I'm like, Jimmy he might Fox, be pretty yeah. funny to hang out with. Yeah, Ted Williams talks about him in that in that book a lot. So yeah, he was a, an interesting cat. Oh yeah, I'm sure he did. Well. Tell them where to hit us up, Web. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening engaging with us on social. Don't forget to like, subscribe, leave us a review, and please continue to engage with us on Twitter, at Big League Flicks, on Instagram, at Big League Flicks Pod. You can also check us out on TikTok, and you can follow us on YouTube as well, where you get to look at our ugly mugs uh, and all these great episodes. So take care, everybody. Have a great week. Stay safe. Bye, everybody. Keep ripping cigs, everyone. Wordles. <laughs> <laughs> Big League Flicks, Jordan, Christian, and Jammer Talking movies about sports and the glitz and the glamour Got a cold beer pairing for the leading lady staring Fun facts and trivia and man rocket comparing Soundtracks and music, they'll rate all these things Was it real or did they lose us as the fat lady sings? Talking junk, have a giggle, comedy, drama, romance Did the film deliver six to noon in my pants With their big bag of tricks Podcast critics, Jordan Christian and Jammer with Big League Flicks. Jordan Christian and Jammer with Big League Flicks. Jordan Christian.